is slow, and this is my impression of a beat poet. Name. Name your. Name your price. Ah, a tool, an idea, an inspiration. To do more than just say what you want to pay. Oh, no. But to see the options that could fit your budget. Steve, enough bongos. Find car insurance that fits your budget at Progressive.com. Makes me want to dance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to CrimeWire a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to CrimeWire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host Delilah Jones and I are going to talk with Robert Marble about the 1988 disappearance of Randy Leach from Linwood, Kansas. On the night of April 15th and 16th, the then 17-year-old attended a pre-graduation party at the home of Kim Irwin in rural Linwood. Randy and his car, a 1985 Gray Dodge 600, haven't been seen since. Leavenworth County Sheriff's investors came up with a possible explanation for Randy going missing. He was sacrificed by members of a satanic cult, some of whose alleged members were at the party that night. Rob Marble was one of the persons of interest. Rob, welcome to CrimeWire. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, Can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about Linwood, for those not familiar with the area, uh, how big it is and the the type of uh, inhabitants? Okay, sure. Yeah, Linwood is a uh, very small rural community in northeastern Kansas. Uh, It's roughly, I'd say maybe about 30 miles or so uh, west of Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, Population about 350. Um, And at that time, uh, very... Very little going on out there. It's mostly a uh, rural farming community. Uh, you know, some folks lived out in that area that, you know, may have worked, uh, say, in Kansas City or Lawrence or adjacent areas, but just a very small, uh, kind of the epitome of the small hick town uh, Bible Belt community in Kansas back in the day. And it has changed very little since then. I've uh, visited it several times um, since I left in 1990. Now, that's in, uh, I believe, Leavenworth County. Uh, yes. So the, how big was the Sheriff's Department? Is it a big agency, or was it at that time a large agency, or was it a rather small agency? Uh you know, I, I don't have a lot of frame of reference for comparison. I would say overall it's a fairly small agency. Uh, I couldn't tell you how many personnel they had at the time. Um, it's grown a fair amount since then, but, yeah, pretty pretty small back back in 88. And uh, were you a native of Linwood, or were you born there? Uh no, I was not. I was uh, born in Kansas City, Missouri. We lived there for a while. Uh, then we moved out to Shawnee Mission, Kansas, uh, which is a suburb of Kansas City. We moved to Linwood about halfway through my kindergarten year. So you were there uh, as you were becoming a young adult. You had been in Linwood for quite a while. Correct, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this party on April 15th. Uh, this was, I understand, a pre-graduation party. Yes. And it was at the home of this uh, this Kim Irwin. Uh, yes. I assume she was a student. And and what, what were you? Uh, you were in high school at the time. Yes, I was uh, a senior that year. Um, 
I had gotten out, I had fulfilled my academic requirements and uh, only had to do half that year. So by the time the party rolled around, um, I was already out, uh, just pending graduation at that point. Okay, and this, this party, how big a party was it? A lot, a lot of people? Uh, you know, decent size for that time and area, but it was pretty small. I would say, you know, maybe 100, 100 people or less. Okay. And were there any adults or was there some type of adult supervision or adult presence? Um, I believe Kim Irwin's mother uh, was at the house. Uh, most of the party was pretty much outside. Uh, this was out in the boonies outside of town, uh, well down a dirt road off the nearest uh, two-lane blacktop. Uh, you know, people were hanging out in the detached, I believe it was a detached garage, and out in the just kind of grassy area where everybody parked. And, you know, it was just a just a house out in the country. Uh, with people hanging out in the yard and everywhere. Um, I don't recall seeing any adults. Uh, like I say, I do know Kim Irwin's mom was there at the time. Uh, I wasn't real familiar with the Irwins. They had moved into town from Kansas City only about one, maybe two years prior. Um, I had just kind of tagged along with a couple friends was the only reason I was there. The uh, I assume there was alcohol there. Am I, would that be a safe assumption? Yes, there was alcohol there. Uh, a lot of, lot, you know, a lot of people brought beer, you know, hard liquor, whatever. Uh, there, I don't recall if there was a keg or anything there, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of people drinking. Um, what about drugs? Did you uh, notice any uh, drug activity while you were there? Um, I did not, and there have been a lot of conflicting stories on that ever since uh, since Randy's disappearance. I, I think a lot of them were greatly exaggerated. Uh, I and my friends, uh, and I'm very sad to say, and you know, in retrospect, but at that time in our lives, yeah, we did drugs ourselves. We, uh, me and the two guys that I was with, we were kind of the black sheep. We got high. We did drugs. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was most of the reason we showed up at the party that night is because we didn't have any drugs, nor could we find any. Uh, there wasn't a lot to do in this, you know, out-of-the-way town. Uh, there was nothing to do in that town, actually. Um, so we heard there was a party, and we couldn't get high anyway, so we decided, what the hell, we'll go to the party. Uh, a few people, there may have been a few people uh smoking pot or something uh i didn't see it and most of the folks that were there from linwood anyway uh were not the type that did drugs at that point in time anyway um after the fact you know the stories grew and got more fantastic and exaggerated as time went on and there were many people who stated that there's just massive amounts of drugs and dealing and all that going on at the party uh that was completely untrue uh, did now you say you were two other uh, two other guys uh, who were they uh Scott Smith and Kelly Powell uh, all okay. three of us went to the party together and uh, departed the party together and were later amongst those accused of these uh, the farce of a crime that this became. Now, uh, did you know Randy personally? Um, knew him fairly well. I mean, we had gone to school, you know, together since kindergarten and, you know, in a town of 350, uh, you know, the school's pretty small. I think we had 37 people in our graduating class, and we were the largest <laughs> class that ever went through that school, and we had, you know, been in the same class since kindergarten, so I, I knew him dated, you know, uh, as much as you know somebody at school. I, you know, never hung out with him uh, after hours or anything, but, yeah, I, I knew him. What what uh, from from your personal knowledge of him and and maybe what you heard from other people and so forth? What kind of a kid was he? Was he a decent kid? 
Oh, yeah, Randy was a very decent kid, uh, very squared away, uh, never gotten, you know, never caused trouble, uh, was a great student, uh, friendly, pretty much uh, most everybody liked him. Uh, yeah, he wasn't a troublemaker. He was definitely not one of the black sheep. Uh, yeah, just all all around good guy. Now, did you see Randy that night? Did you see him at the party? Uh, yes, I did. I, I interacted with him a few times at the party. Um, he was fairly intoxicated. Uh, we kind of bullshitted and talked uh, out. There was a little bonfire out in the area, and we kind of hung out and talked for a while. Did uh seem in a good mood? Did he seem like he was having any problems or any issues? Um. You know, I don't think I don't think he displayed anything like that. Like I say, he was fairly intoxicated. You know, he's uh, you know pretty well drunk, uh, but did not seem depressed or angry uh, or agitated or nervous. Uh, just seemed like he was having a good time. Um, was do you know if he was like with somebody maybe came with somebody or had a date or anything or was he kind of on his own i believe he was on his own uh the whole time he and i talked uh he wasn't uh with anybody else uh seemed like he was just kind of hanging out at the party by himself uh walking around you know talking with people and hanging out but yeah no i didn't i didn't uh, think that he was uh there with anybody Okay, and, and what time did you arrive at the party? Do you remember? Oh, uh, you know, that I could not say. I'm sure I've got a documented statement in the uh, police reports. Uh, but, you know, 28 years later, I don't recall. Uh, all I, I believe it was after dark when we arrived. Um, but other than that, this was back in 88, you know, before we yeah. carried cell phones that were network connected to time clocks. And, uh, I don't think I wore a watch, uh, sometime in the, uh, the evening that would be the best I could pin it down. Okay. And, uh, do you remember about what time you left? Uh, no, unfortunately not. Um. I don't think we were there for a whole hell of a long time, maybe a, maybe a couple hours. And we actually left once or twice and returned. Um, I know we left at least one time to go see if we could, you know, get some drugs. Uh, and we left again uh, to hit the liquor store and came back. So, you know, at the greatest length of time, I, I wouldn't think that we were probably at the party for more than, you know, all told to include our excursions, uh, more than, say, three hours max. Uh, when you left, did, uh, was anything exciting going on at the party? I mean, it, there was, you didn't see Randy in any type of physical altercation or arguments or anything like that? No, not at all, not at all. Mm. Uh, the, the people... The party was kind of dispersed over the area. You know, there's. I was hanging out mostly around the bonfire, not too far from where the uh, the cars were parked. Um, I I was just not a sociable person. Um, I really didn't care for the community a lot. Uh, I was a bit of a loner myself. Um, so I just. You know, I wasn't the uh, the party animal, you know, Hank, go to the party and bullshit with everybody type of guy. Uh, so I kind of sat around. Uh, Kelly got pretty hammered. We bought a bottle of Bacardi 151 during our excursion. He ended up passed out in the back of my car for most of the party. Um, Scott Smith, he was the, uh, the least black sheep of the three of us, and he was uh, a bit of a social guy. So he spent a lot of the time interacting and hanging out with other people at the various areas of the party. Um, but I pretty much confined myself to uh, to that area. When uh, Rob, when you say you guys were the black sheep, uh, would that mean you, you weren't in with the cliques like, uh, you know, the jocks, the ball players and that stuff? You guys were kind of uh, outside of that? 
Uh, yeah, that would be a pretty accurate statement. Scott, uh, like I mentioned before, was a little bit less of a black sheep than us. Uh, he kind of straddled both sides of the fence on that. But, yeah, myself and Kelly, uh, yeah, by black sheep, uh, your description would certainly be accurate. Okay, when uh, when the three of you left the party at whatever time it was, uh, did you go home then or did you go out to another spot somewhere? Uh, no, we we left the party, uh, if memory is correct, we stopped in Linwood. Now, the party was uh, west of Linwood in a rural area, and uh, Kelly was living in Lawrence. Uh, or actually, now let me back up. The party was east of Linwood. Kelly lived to the west in Lawrence. So we had to take him home first. We did stop in Linwood, just kind of drove around a little bit. Of course, you know, late at night, uh, there's nothing going on in that one-horse town. So we drove around a few minutes, left, went to Lawrence, dropped Kelly off at his family's house. And then we turn around, turned around and went back east uh, towards Bonner Springs, uh, in the area where Scott Smith lived, and he actually only lived probably a handful of miles away from where the party was. So I dropped him off there, and then I turned around and went back to Linwood, uh, where I lived, and um, went to sleep that night. Do you remember if uh, Randy was still at the party when you left? Do you recall seeing him there uh, at the time you left? Um, I believe he was there, but I don't know for certain. Um, he and I, you know, talked for a while, but, you know, not the entire time. Um, and I was just very dissatisfied with being there. I, you know, didn't really get along with a lot of the folks there. Um, wasn't an enjoyable experience for me, basically, so I was just kind of looking forward to getting the hell out of there. Uh, so I'm <laughs> not certain he was there, but I believe he was. So uh, this is April 15th, the night of April 15th, and into the 16th. And uh, it, it turns out then that Randy never makes it home uh, after the party, whatever time that was. Uh, and... There's a missing persons report apparently filed with the Leavenworth County Sheriff's Office, and they start their investigation. Uh, about how long after the party, about how long after Randy's disappearance, did law enforcement contact you or your friends to uh, to question you about that night? Uh, it was within a week. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the reports in front of me, but it was a, wasn't a very long period at all. Um, the fourth day, I believe it was the fourth day after Randy's disappearance, an anonymous report was made via telephone to the Leavenworth County Sheriff's Department. I have the report, but it doesn't name the individual. It just lists them as a confidential informant. Uh, but it does say that they were a family member of one of the other students in our class, Derek McCollum, and that the reason they were calling in was because Derek had told them that myself and Kelly were members of a satanic cult and that we had basically told him that we had sacrificed Randy. Um, and he also went, went on to embellish that further, stating that we had a large bag with some powdery white substance in it that we were giving away by the spoonful and a few other um, kind of ridiculous statements. Uh, so that report was made to the sheriff's department. Um, so it wasn't long after that that they came to uh, visit me at my place of employment. Now, it seems to me that in a, a small town like that, a small community, uh, the disappearance of, of somebody would be, you know, on everybody's tongue. Uh, every, everybody would pretty much know about it. Um, yes. 
Was that what happened? Was it big news, you know, a big event? Oh, yeah, that was exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, just to put it in perspective, again, this is uh, 1988. This is before, you know, Internet, before cell phone. Hell, Linwood did not even have cable TV available. You had three or four channels that you could, you know, some of them you could barely watch because you had to stand there with one hand on the rabbit ear antenna with your left <laughs> leg up in the air facing east and with a chunk of tin foil on them, you know, those old days. Uh, so any, I mean, it's just a, such a boring, dead community. So anything out of the ordinary was big news. And the disappearance of a, a kid from the school was, it was monumental news. That was all anybody was talking about at the time. Did well, and I remember your- those days. My daughter was was a teenager in those years and in in Oklahoma at the time, so really not too far from where you were. Um, yeah. But yeah, the whole satanic cult thing was like the the thing that all parents just went ballistic about because you mentioned it and, and everyone saying everyone else's kid was involved in it and and it was kind of the urban legend of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that is exactly what it was. Um, oh boy, yeah. Um, and it seemed like these uh, bored people in Linwood just latched onto it like a magnet. Uh, suddenly, their boring, dreary lives had this big excitement in it, and everybody wanted their 15 minutes of fame. Was there any reason, Rob, why uh, this confidential informant would have come up with that kind of a story? Was there any reason to think that you or your friends were uh, in a satanic cult? None that I can think of. The only thing that I can piece together is I, I do believe what the report said as far as this individual being uh, a member of Derek McCollum's family. And several days later, uh, there was a separate report where uh, Leavenworth Sheriff's detectives spoke directly with Derek himself, and I have his report as well, and the statements that he made were identical to those made in the earlier report from the uh, confidential informant. Derek just basically reiterated uh, what the other individual had told them, uh, basically just accusing us of having confessed to him of uh, killing Randy and of having sacrificed him in a satanic ritual and of distributing what I'm sure the illusion was meant to be cocaine or something along those lines. Um, what, the why, though, that's always escaped me. Uh, Derek and I were friends as, you know, children go, growing up. Uh, you know, we weren't close friends, you know, in high school years, uh, but there was certainly no bad blood at all between us. Uh, Derek was a little bit of an oddball. Uh, I always suspected his family was a little bit of a fundamentalist. Uh, I do remember, you know, days in high school, uh, you know, say if I, I would, I was into going to concerts and stuff at the time, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Iron Maiden, basically 80s heavy metal, you know, and I'd, I would come to school wearing the shirt that I, t-shirt that I purchased at the, uh, you know, the concert, and Derek would see it, and he'd come up to me and say things like, wow, you listen to Iron Maiden, don't you know that they're satanic? Uh, if, I hear that if you play their records backwards, you can hear Satan's voice. And the guy believed shit like that. Uh, he was, I think, a little bit off kilter already. Uh, but what spurred him to make such a egregiously, uh, just a horrid, well, to lie, basically, to try to frame us for murder, I, I have no idea. Um, and that's one thing that I think about daily, uh, you know, that when I wake up in the morning, this stuff is the first thing that pops into my mind. And when I'm going to trying to go to sleep at night, you know, this stuff creeps into my thoughts, uh, you know, for 28 years. Uh, I've never figured out why, the why, though. But 
um, I can imagine that once this confidential informant uh, came up with that story, that probably moved you and your friends to the top of the list of uh, persons the sheriff's department was interested in. Uh, it it sure seemed to because we uh, they were on us quite heavily after that. Uh, they would con they would visit me at my work to interrogate me. Uh, they were following us around and incessantly for I don't remember how long. Uh, and in you know this is Linwood, Kansas. It's not Chicago, L.A. You know or any even Kansas City, uh, you know, it's small rural community. So when these guys are following you uh, in their undercover cars, it's pretty much blatantly obvious. Uh, so you knew that, that you were you and your friends were being surveilled. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, there was no undercover about it. I mean, they weren't in uniform and they were not in marked cars, but... You know, when you, you've got a solid dark color uh, night, late model Crown Victoria with five antennas on it and those uh, <laughs> cheap little center hubcaps and uh, some slob with a 70s porn star mustache and a bad haircut following you and you're the only two cars on the road, it is uh, blatantly obvious. Okay. Uh, did there come a point where the uh, sheriff's investigators asked to search your vehicle? Yes. Uh, that was very early on. That was one of the uh, the first visits that I had from them. Um, they had not told me that there had been an accusation against that. Well, I'm not sure if I'm remembering that aspect. They may or may not have told me at that point that there had been a, an accusation against me, but they were, you know, concurrently speaking with, uh, you know, everybody that was at the party, which isn't, you know, natural, and that was, a, you know, the right thing to do in their investigation. Uh, but when they spoke with me at the conclusion, they did ask me if they could search my car and, um, you know, I did this one of the stupidest things in the world. I, I said, sure. You know, at the time, I didn't know any better. Um, I just wanted to aid the investigation. So I said, sure, feel free, search my car. Um, they searched my car. Um, I had a couple of knives in there. And then Kelly, uh, he was one of those guys that liked to play Dungeons and & Dragons and stuff. He had left a Dungeons & Dragons handbook in my car. So they pull out these two knives and this Dungeons and Dragons handbook, and in their mind, the story that McCollum and his relative gave them just fell into place. And from that point on, they were convinced in their own mind that they had solved the crime. Now, I'm assuming that uh, this uh, alleged statement you made to the confidential informant, you know, about the sacrifice and all that, I assume there weren't any other witnesses to that because it, uh, it seems there had there been, uh, let's say you said this in front of a group of people and they had five, six, seven witnesses, uh, they'd have had a stronger uh, case and maybe a cause for arrest. Uh, so, this was apparently limited, this alleged statement, just to this guy and his, what, his cousin. Yes. Um, but what did they do after they found this stuff? Did they arrest you, or uh, oh, what uh, happened? They kind of, they said that they were going to confiscate it, uh, send it in for, I believe they said, serology testing, and that I could have it back after testing was completed. Uh, they took it. I never saw the stuff again for about 26 years. Uh, I frequently called them for weeks and months afterwards. I even went down to the sheriff's department many times requesting my stuff back. Uh, they always gave me the same story. No, testing's not done. Testing's not done. Even years later, even when I joined the army and went away, I would come into town on leave once a year and go to the sheriff's department uh, requesting my stuff back. And those jackasses 
still kept telling me, no, we're not done testing it yet. Now, years <laughs> later, I came across the police reports. Uh, the first one was the uh, the testing report showing two knives, no blood, nothing positive on the test. And that came out about, if I remember right, about two weeks after it was confiscated. Funny thing is there were uh, at least one or two other reports dated much later than that stating uh, that I had come to visit the sheriff's department requesting my property back, and those idiots kind of ratted themselves out because they even put it in black and white. We told him the testing wasn't done yet, even though I've got the testing results in my hand dated months earlier. So, yeah, it must have been an inside joke uh, with the sheriff's department at the time. So, so obviously, uh, like, you know, the, the testing came back negative, certainly, or they would have uh, arrested you. Uh, and But, but you know, what did you say about 26 years later, you did get your property back? Yes, finally. Uh, and that, let's see, how did that happen? Oh, yeah. Uh, in I believe it was 2006 or maybe it was 2008, some KU grad student had uh, produced a play called Leaves of Words, uh, and it was about this case. Um, so that reawakened public interest in it because in, in the intervening years, the you know the public commentary in the case would go dormant for a f- couple years, and then you know it would flare up again. It, and then it would go dormant and then flare up. You know, it was kind of a cyclical nature over the decades that followed. Um, But when the student uh, produced this play, it kind of reinvigorated and and brought it back to the case back to life, you know, once again. Um, And at that time, I was no longer the, you know, snot-nosed 18-year-old punk that I was back in 88. Uh, I think I'd you know, done 10 years in the military, I was out. Um, it's quite a bit more well-versed in how to communicate, and much more assertive. Uh, <clears throat> I contacted the sheriff directly, uh, basically demanding my stuff back. Uh, they finally sent me a letter stating that they are no long. The property is no longer of evidentiary value, and that they would be willing to return it to me. Um, so I did go and got it back. Uh, I suspect that they were more concerned about the possibility of a lawsuit. Um, but yeah, I, I eventually got the two knives and the the books back. Uh, like I say, about 26 years later. Now. The the police obviously for quite some time uh, had you pegged as as being involved in Randy's uh, disappearance and presumed death. Um, how were you treated in the community? You know, a small community. Did did the residents kind of share that same opinion? Did did they think that you were uh, involved? Not initially, but uh, the sheriff's department uh, seemed to make that happen. And eventually it did kind of morph into uh, kind of the ending of the old, old 1930s monster movies where you get the angry villagers with torches and pitchforks. Or uh, or actually a better uh, analogy might be uh, old Salem during the witch trials era. Um, so what had happened was after the false report, the bogus allegations from the two members of the McCollum family, And after the police had searched my vehicle and found the two knives in the Dungeons and Dragons book, uh, they, it was very apparently obvious that they were convinced that we were the culprits. They proceeded with their investigation with that mindset. And it's important to note that these, this was not a professional law enforcement organization. These guys were bumbling, incompetent, inbred idiots a bunch of oh yeah i don't want to go too much on a tangent on that um i've i've spent the last several years reviewing their investigative reports that those idiots negligently leaked by the way 
but I have found several examples in there. Um, and again, they kind of ratted themselves out in the verbiage that they wrote down in their reports. That they would they would go directly to individuals to interview other people who at the party are classmates and such, and they would ask them directly. Uh, asked so and so, uh, say Pam Phillips, one example. Uh, asked Pam Phillips if she knew anything about Rob Marble and Kelly Powell being in a satanic cult. Uh, quite the leading question, by the way. Uh, but that's exactly how they were wording those questions according to their own reports. Now, to put that in perspective, in a small rural community with nothing happening in 1988, pre-internet, pre-cell phone, that's really exciting stuff in these people's lives. Uh, so it doesn't take any leap of imagination at all to know that when cops show up at your door and name two individuals specifically and ask you really wild, off-the-wall questions about them, like, are these guys satanic cult members? Well, naturally, people are going to talk. One guy tells their buddy, and that guy tells three other guys, and eventually what happens is, well, the cops go down, three hands down, and talk to the next person. Hey, have you heard anything about Rob Marble and Kelly Powell being involved in uh, satanic cults? And, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that from so-and-so or such-and-such, -and, -such, and it just took on a life of its own. The sheriff's department was actually seeding this idea, whether through incompetence, negligence, or willful intent, I don't know. I think it was probably a combination. But they planted this seed in the minds of the community and kind of sowed it throughout. Uh, so and then once that, once the community was talking, I mean, this spread, this stuff spread like a wildfire, well, more like a gasoline fire. Uh, and then, yes, af back to your question. After that, we started noticing a hell of a lot of animosity. Uh, from the local community, we received several anonymous death threats, you know, everything from notes stuck under our windshield wipers to people shouting at us. Uh, yeah, it and was bad. You were, you were already in, uh, you know, the black sheep uh, uh, side of things. Yes. So then you add, you add this to it. Uh, I can oh, imagine yeah. you're... Your life certainly changed uh, for the worse. Immediately, yeah, yeah, it had a very, uh, very profound impact. That's for sure. Now, at some point, did uh, did a guy using uh, a couple of different names, Terry Martin or Lee Harper, uh, show up in town claiming he was an investigative journalist? Yes, uh, that happened in 1993, uh, and just like you say, the guy used two names, uh, Terry Martin and uh, Harry Lee Harper, um, stated that he was an investigative journalist. I uh, believe he also stated that he was uh, working with TV show uh, Unsolved Mysteries to look in this case for uh, a possible show. Uh, he contacted the sheriff's department with this cock and bull story, um, and as we've already discussed, those inbred morons at the sheriff's department didn't check any credentials at all. They just bought his story hook, line, and sinker, so they assigned a deputy to work with him, uh, Don Weston, uh, and basically allowed him free access to the uh, the confidential case files uh so he got all that material and then uh he he went around interviewing people uh further sowing the seeds of you know this this ridiculous story uh didn't turn out till much later that this guy was a totally uh, gave totally fictitious false names had nothing to do with unsolved mysteries um, and it got pretty weird after that. Uh, he and Detective Don Weston basically just disappeared for a while. And they 
contacted numerous news agencies in the area, TV, newspapers, uh, stating that they had uncovered a ring, a satanic cult ring that was responsible for numerous murders in the area over the decades and that they were also handling massive amounts of drug dealing and that the law enforcement was basically being paid off by them. Um, And what Martin or Harper had done is he took copies of these case files and he combined them with all the... uh, already sensational and idiotic rumors, and he just amplified it greatly. Uh, He put those rumors on steroids, blew them even further out of proportion than they already were, and he wrote up this complete work of fiction based on those reports and those rumors, and he consolidated that into just this bizarre farce of a story and he was trying to sell that to the uh, the media outlets in the area. Um, I've got a copy of his uh, report, I guess, is the only thing I could call it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty horrendous. I would love to get my hands on that guy's throat one of these days. I don't know whatever became huh? of him. Uh, it was a huge black eye to the, uh, the sheriff's organization. Uh, Don Weston was later terminated. Um, and I don't know what the follow-up, what what happened after that regarding those two. It's something that the sheriff's department has kept a very tight lid on ever, ever since. So this guy, this uh, Harper, whatever his name is, he he, uh, he comes in, the sheriff's department opens up their files, they assign this uh, Deputy Dawn here, and that's D-A-W-N, it's a female, am I correct? That is correct. Okay. Uh, To work with him, he further amplifies the uh, allegations about the satanic cult and so on and so forth, Um, then writes this uh, script or whatever it is, trying to pitch it to the local media, which apparently never went, how you never saw it actually in a newspaper or on TV, hopefully. Yes, yes, fortunately there. Um, And then they eventually fired the deputy, Deputy Don. Yes. Yeah, and they, uh, like I say, they had disappeared for a while, uh, and that's when he was uh, contacting media outlets trying to sell this crazy story, and he was making statements that he was on the run and that he and Weston feared for their life uh, because they had uncovered, you know, this huge story about drug dealing, child killing Satanists that had the cops on their payroll. Uh, so made it a real tinfoil hat story, that's for sure. So, so now you're under pressure from the from the police. Uh, your reputation in the neighborhood there with the in the community is uh, is not very good because of these stories of the satanic cult and all that kind of stuff so what did you do then did you finally have enough and get out did you did you yeah, bail out of I, town i was done with it um after you know just the entire community turned their back not only turned their back on us but they just swallowed this crazy story hook, line, and sinker. And we were, you know, to say that we were pariahs at that point would be a gross understatement. Uh, when you're in a little hick town Bible Belt community and everybody's convinced you're a child killing Satanist, it's not a safe situation to be in. Uh, you know, old Salem witch trials, you know, is, is, a, is a perfect analogy for this. Uh, I enlisted in the Army and went away for several years myself. Uh, Scott stayed in the community. Uh, For some reason, uh, he was able to, or not able, he just, the crazy stories didn't really stick against him. They kind of morphed and just focused on Kelly and I. I think that's probably because Scott was a little bit, 
you know, more part of the community, better liked. Uh, mm-hmm. Although he did have some rough times uh, later on in that, uh, Kelly moved out of town to Lawrence, uh, several miles away in an entirely different county. Uh, part of the Harper and Weston fiasco, though, was at one point they did convince uh, the local or the county, I don't know what's the right terminology, the the DA or the prosecutor or whoever, whatever that role is, to arrest Scott, as well as two other guys, uh, Steve Dotry and Kenneth Huffman. Um, so they arrested Scott. Kenneth Huffman, who did go to the school, was a year or two ahead of us, and Steve Dotry, which was a older guy, just kind of one of the one of the local townies. And uh, they convinced the, the DA or prosecutor, whatever he was, uh, they basically fed him this crazy story that Harper and Weston had cooked up, convinced him that, you know, those guys should be arrested and charged with murder. Uh, so they were caught, thrown in the clink, and but they were out by the following Monday. I believe the, sto- the official story was that the, that only occurred because the sheriff was out of town, and when he got back in town, he realized what a you know an idiotic move that was, and released them. Um, so after that, though, fortunately, Scott came under a lot less scrutiny. Um, but we're still trying to live it down. Um, in 2006, in November, uh, that would be roughly uh, what 18 years after after Randy disappeared. Um, I believe you had a meeting with Harold and Alberta Leach, Randy's parents. Was, was that accurate? Yes, that is correct. Um, it was uh, after the play, you know, had been produced and gone public. Um, several people over the years have become involved with the case uh, for various reasons, a lot of PIs, you know, private investigators, uh, oh, and more bizarre uh, psychic, so-called psychics and uh, journalists and authors. Um, anyway, a, a couple of ladies from Lawrence uh, that have written a few books in the past uh, were wanting to write a story on this. Uh, so they had become friends with the leeches, and they, they seemed to be some pretty good folks. Um, so they had reached out to me at one point, uh, because naturally my name came up quite prevalently in this, uh, and wanted to talk to me and kind of hear my side of it. And because they had become friends with the leeches, uh, they had kind of you know asked that I speak with Harold in Alberta, and I, I did, and I'm glad we did. Uh, I came into town, uh, went out to their house, and uh, sat at the coffee table, you know, sat at the kitchen table with them, drank coffee, and we just talked and got everything out in the open. And we must have talked for five or six hours. Uh, And it it was a good meeting. Uh, Cleared up a lot of misconceptions for them because uh, Harold and Alberta, uh, naturally, you know, they were the epicenter of this. Uh, you know, it's their son that had disappeared. Uh, the investigation through the decades re- yielded absolutely zero results, and they have constantly been given the runaround uh, by the Leavenworth Sheriff's Department. Uh, so they didn't know what to think. They didn't know what to believe. Uh, and, and, of course, they had heard all the rumors Hell, they had been, even, you know, been implicated by various other rumors, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it was a, it was a good meeting. It was a really good heart to heart with them. Perhaps so you you walked into this meeting with the parents, uh, Randy's parents, who may very well have thought you murdered their son. Uh, yes. When you left the meeting, what was your feeling? Uh, what do you think they were thinking when you left the meeting? I I like to think, well, yeah, I I like to think that we had cleared the air 
and then hopefully I was very hopeful that I had addressed any of their concerns that I had been involved uh, because, and I can't fault them for this, but I, I know for a fact just what I know of human nature, they had heard all the rumors and surely they had to give some of them at least a possibility of being true. I'm sure they thought that it was a possibility uh, because so many people, I mean, the McCollums initiated this with their false reports, but when the rumor took off like a forest fire, more bogus reports started coming in. Uh, I lost count of how many people down the line, after the idea had been seeded by Leavenworth Sheriff's Department, several other people chimed in with bogus reports. Everybody, people saying things like, yeah, I saw Robert Marble with Randy Leach at Walmart, or uh, there was one bogus report where somebody said, yeah, I saw Robert forcing drugs down Randy's throat. Uh, one of them said they saw Robert Marble putting three muscle relaxers in Randy's drink. Um, yeah, I'm pretty damn specific. I mean, how do you, how the hell do you identify, number one, identify a pill by its type as a muscle relaxer or whatever and get an account of them and see them, see somebody putting them in a drink and not say something about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, there were just numerous, numerous reports like this. Uh, people just jumping on the bandwagon. I don't know if they wanted their 15 minutes of fame. I don't know if they were in collusion with the McCollums. Uh, but I know any time there's a big event, you know, some mystery, I know that's one thing law enforcement folks from the dawn of time have had to contend with. You get a bunch of idiots chiming in with bullshit. Uh, so with all that going on, I have no doubt that you know Randy's family uh, considered that some of this was very likely true. Um, so to your question, after we talked for that afternoon and evening, and I walked away from it, um, I had a pretty good feeling that I had put, put those concerns to rest. So it was well, definitely a productive meeting as far as you're concerned. Yeah. Oh, say again. Go ahead, D. Go ahead, D. Well, I was just going to ask, since we're, we're winding down a little bit, um, you know, going through this experience, becoming a suspect in a case like this, um, I'm assuming there was never an arrest made, correct? Uh, there was. I was never arrested and charged, uh, but I've lost count of the times that we were pulled over in the middle of the night, had our car ripped apart, seats pulled out, we were punched, kicked, roughed up, held at gunpoint, cuffed. Well, I guess what my question is, is in the aftermath of all of this that you've experienced, as a suspect, um, how has the long-term impact been with you? I mean, it's it's... It's not something that would show up in a in a record check or something like that, would it? I mean, has it affected um, your employment or or anything it, like it that? Has. In you, uh, there mm-hmm. are various degrees of uh, various levels of background checks. Uh, it hasn't hurt me on the civilian side, but it caused me a fair amount of disruption in the military. Uh, I enlisted as a, uh, I was a 13 Mike, it was my MOS, uh, MLRS, Multiple Launch Rocket System crew member, requires a uh, secret security clearance. Those federal uh, military security clearance investigations, well, let me back up. Like when you go in for a civilian job, a background check can pull up things that you have been convicted of, found guilty of. but the military can pull up a lot more, things that you've been accused of. Um, I was into my second enlistment before I was able to gain my security clearance, and that's only because somebody must have slipped up at quality control and really dropped the ball. 
typically in the military, when you enlist for a position that requires a clearance, they perform the background check and either grant you your clearance or refuse your clearance before or by the time you complete your initial training. If your clearance cannot be granted due to negative background information, you are either kicked out or you are reassigned to another MOS, another specialty that does not require a clearance. I went through my initial training, then was uh, sent to my first uh, permanent duty station, and then even went to my next duty station and went overseas to South Korea. Uh, and then one day, about six months into my tour in Korea, I get called into the uh, commander's office, and there's a couple guys in suits in there. Uh, they introduced themselves. They were with uh, U.S. counterintelligence. And their first question to me was, why don't you have a security clearance? I said, hey, I assumed I did. Uh, you know, I'm in this MOS. I've been awarded my MOS. Uh, I've been uh, assigned out here. Uh, what do you mean I don't have a clearance? And they said, yeah, uh, you know, we have to investigate this. Uh, so that launched a whole nother round of interrogations, and uh, that continued. Uh, well, it continued until I left Korea, went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, where there it was picked up by DIS, Defense Investigative Service, uh, several more rounds of um, interrogations, and finally... After about two years, I was finally granted my clearance. Um, so this had come up enough to cause serious disruption in that, which put me at great risk of being kicked out of the Army. Uh, fortunately, the adjudicator at Fort Meade, Maryland, uh, I would assume from what he was able to, for, from what they were able to gather, was that this negative information was strictly allegations exactly because there was never a arrest or a conviction. So I was eventually granted that clearance. However, I had to undergo an enhanced investigation, basically the full top secret investigation, and this material remained in my uh, S2 file, my security file, which prevented me from going further um, and obtaining a different position that would have required a greater clearance. So it, it impacted and it limited, it did limit my military career because of that. Uh, Rob, we're running out of time very quickly. I'd, I'd like to get a, a couple of uh, final questions in. Uh, and this is just a yes or no answer. Uh, are you living in Linwood now? No. No, I'm not. Okay. And do you think you're still a suspect in this case? Yes, I believe so. The uh, Leavenworth Sheriff's Department has refused to publicly state when that question has been put to them if they are done with me. And, uh, well, yeah, just short answer, yes, I, I would say so. And the final question is, do you have any opinion of what actually happened to Randy? Not really. Uh, there's not enough information to go on. Uh, the case was derailed on the fourth day uh, when they started going down the wrong trail, chasing Satan, satanic cults and boogeymen. Uh, the only thing that kind of nags at the back of my brain is, why did the McCollums, why did two of them collude to point the finger of blame at us for no reason? I wonder, is there a possibility that a member of the McCollum family may have done something to Randy and that they were trying to cast this finger of blame on the local black sheep? 
Um, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, it's the only possible theory. I've always refused to theorize on this because there has been no information. That's that's the closest I can come uh, to even a, a marginal Hopefully theory. Hopefully someday that question will be answered for everybody.